Leslie Ludi, host of the Set Apart podcast, biblical encouragement for women of all ages. We are in the midst of our Navigating Modern Christianity series, and it's just been a really powerful time of looking at issues that are happening in the modern church and what we can do as set-apart women, Christ-centered women, to relate to those issues in a God-centered way, in a healthy way. So if you haven't caught the first few episodes, I encourage you to go back and listen to those as you are able. In this week's episode, I'd like to talk about keys to a healthy community. Community is such a trendy concept in modern Christianity, and There's the biblical form of community, and then there's a lot of counterfeit form of community that is out there. So we're going to take a deep dive into that today. Before we jump in, I wanted to let you know about a really exciting opportunity From now until February 15th, we have our Ellerslie Scholarship Giveaway for 2024. So you can enter to win one of 10 full-ride scholarships to our week-long or our five-week programs in the summer or the fall. And if you've been thinking about a season to just come away from the distractions of daily life, sit at the feet of Jesus, fall in love with the Word of God, and become grounded in truth like never before, I really encourage you to enter the giveaway for that chance to get one of those scholarships because we would love to to see you in Colorado this year and invest into your spiritual life. A season at Ellerslie, whether you are able to come for a week or for five weeks, it truly is life-changing. It's a time of just being edified by other believers in Christ and going deeper with Jesus. And if you click on the link in this podcast description, you can see student testimony videos and learn more about our scholarship giveaway. Or you can just go to ellerslie.com and click on the scholarship tab and learn more about that opportunity. We would love to see you at Ellerslie this year. So let's dive into keys to a healthy community. If you are in any kind of kind of mainstream church, you probably hear the word community a lot. It's very much a popular notion. It's a buzzword. It's something that a lot of churches today really emphasize. And basically what a lot of church communities are built around are things like dialoguing and expressing your thoughts and feelings, being real and authentic, venting your emotions, sharing everything that's in your heart, and just kind of being real about your struggles. And a lot of times community these days in the Christian circles has become a place where human emotion and human opinion kind of take over. I remember a small group that Eric and I were in when we were first married, and it was really well-meaning people, and they had the group at their house, and there were a lot of just just a whole mix of different kinds of Christians there. The entire emphasis of that group was on being raw and real and just super authentic and sharing everything. And even though it seemed really spiritual, it seemed like a really great idea when we first joined, actually the atmosphere became very unhealthy. The, the leaders of the group, like I said, they meant well, but it really fostered an atmosphere of just like a sloppy, emotion-based environment. And truth kind of took a back seat to people's thoughts and feelings and opinions and ideas. This concept of raw and real community is really trendy, really popular, and it has been for about the past. 10 to 15 years. Well, first of all, let's take a look at where this trend of the raw and real dialogue-based community has come from. 
I believe it grew out of the previous generations that we see in Christianity that were maybe more stiff and formal in certain denominations and certain circles. And the the trend of community, the way we see it often in modern Christianity, is a swing from that stiff and formal environment that previous generations experienced in church. You always had to put on a show, kind of this display of looking good and acting righteous and acting holy whenever you went to church, whenever you were around Christian circles. And it was considered unspiritual for anyone in your community to know about your personal struggles. Now, of course, that mindset is not healthy and it's not biblical. And it has its roots in the pattern of the Pharisees. If you study the the way the Pharisees operated in the New Testament, Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. They looked perfect on the outside, but they were decaying and empty on the inside. And so it's a very dangerous concept to to promote in a Christian circle where you have to look good on the outside and never be who you really are, never be honest about the fact that you struggle with things, etc. And I feel like the stiff and formal pattern that we often saw in a lot of denominations caused damage and it caused a lot of disillusionment in the generations that followed. In fact, the younger generation began leaving Christianity in droves after those few decades where stiff and formal Christianity was emphasized. And now statistics show that 70% or more of Christian young people who have grown up in the church often will leave their faith or leave Christianity by the time they're sophomores in college because they don't they never saw anything real. It was just a show. It never felt like a true, genuine relationship with Christ. And they saw a lot of pressure to look a certain way on the outside, but there was nothing real beyond just the show. And so so what we see happening today in a lot of cases is kind of a human solution to that problem. It's an opposite reaction to that unhealthy system of stiff religiosity, that stiff formality. And everyone's like, we don't want anything to do with that. That's causing all this damage. That's causing young people to leave their faith. Let's swing in the opposite direction. So instead of going to what is the biblical pattern or looking at what scripture says about community, oftentimes Christians today are coming up with their own version which is kind of a pendulum swing in the opposite direction. And community means letting your hair down, being raw, being real, being overly honest, oversharing about your struggles under the banner of being honest, open, and authentic. Now, of course, there is a, a genuine type of openness and authenticity that we need among the body of Christ. But one thing that I've seen quite often in the the, po- the popular trendy version of, of community is sharing too much and being too dependent on that, that feeling of everyone needs to listen to me and I just need to be able to share everything that's going through my head or everything that I struggle with. And a lot of times we value human opinion, human thought, human experience above truth. Another thing that you'll see in community today, a lot of Christian communities, is that venting emotions and even criticizing others is seen as healthy and good. It's like a good form of processing. And so really it's a counterfeit form of the type of community and honesty and sharing that God intended among the body of Christ. You also see this happening on social media. You see it in in-person relationships and really in social media a lot on Christian blogs or in Christian social media pages, where being raw and real and venting emotion and bashing other people is touted as something virtuous and good and healthy and spiritual. Often it promotes a kind of realness that is very different from the truth-filled, God-honoring honesty that we see patterned in Scripture. 
For example, a Christian woman that I knew became hurt and offended by another woman in her church. And the way she dealt with that is she began expressing her honest feelings on her social media page. And all of her posts began with statements like, can I just be real for a minute? Or, okay, I'm just going to be totally honest with you. And then she proceeded to just publicly bash the person who had offended her. And she made these broad sweeping gripes against certain kinds of Christians. Nearly all of the feedback that she received on her social media page in response to this was positive. Fellow churchgoers and fellow Christians responded to her rants with encouragement. They would post comments like, your honesty is so refreshing, or I'm so glad someone is finally being real about this. And then second party offenses began to form. And finally, there was a splintering of several Christian families who had previously been close, trusting friends. And sadly, that's really common today when we value human emotion and we look at just venting and sharing anything and everything is healthy and good. That's where it can lead. So let's quickly go over a few characteristics of an unhealthy or a counterfeit form of Christian community. Oftentimes we don't recognize the counterfeit for what it is because, again, like I said, in so many Christian circles, those trends are considered normal and right and healthy. And so after we look at what is unhealthy in a community, let's take a look at what true godly community looks like so that we can begin to make the shift from counterfeit community to Christ-centered community. So here are some characteristics of unhealthy or counterfeit communities that you might see around you in the body of Christ today. And the first one we've already touched on, but it's false honesty. Basically, it means that emotional venting or criticizing other people equals healthy honesty. Now, as we just said, biblical honesty is not actually just emotional venting. I've often heard this statement, Christian women need the freedom to be authentic in their relationships with each other. Now, that is true, but usually what is meant by that statement is Christian women should have the freedom to express whatever they're feeling, even if it's fleshly, self-focused, emotion-based, or dishonoring to others. Some women even feel pressure to share their private feelings and struggles publicly because it's implied that they're somehow putting on a false front if they don't. And that is really bizarre to me that people would actually criticize you or accuse you for not sharing enough because you're not emotionally venting and you're not griping against other people. But the idea that unguardedly expressing our feelings and our frustrations equates to true authenticity is not in alignment with God's word or his nature. So counterfeit honesty says, freely share your feelings with anyone and everyone. If you don't, you're not truly being authentic. Biblical honesty says, a fool vents all his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. That's in Proverbs 29, 11. And it says in Ecclesiastes 3, 7, there's a time to be silent and a time to speak. So clearly in scripture, you see that something should be shared and something should not be shared. Of course, we should never be fake or put on a false front with others. We always need to balance our honesty with that godly virtue of discretion, of guardedness. Discretion, as we've talked about in other episodes, is a nearly forgotten concept in today's world. And yet, according to scripture, it is foundational to godly womanhood and Christianity. 
Proverbs 11.22 says, as a ring of gold in a swine snout, so is a lovely woman who lacks discretion. So that's a pretty poignant example right there of how important discretion and guardedness is to God. And then Titus 2, 4, and 5 says that young women are to be discreet. Now, discreet in that verse means to be sane, to be sound of mind, to be self-controlled and temperate. So in other words, it's the opposite of venting our feelings without restraint. I love Mary, the mother of Jesus, the the example that she set in the area of discretion when she kept all these things and pondered them in her heart, as it says in Luke 2, 19. Now, if anyone had a good reason to freely express her feelings and share all of her personal experiences, it was Mary. She had seen and done amazing things, but instead she remained guarded and discreet with those things. She chose not to share them with others. And in God's eyes, that was seen as a virtue and not a flaw. God was not telling her, you're not being raw and real and authentic enough because you guarded this. He was actually praising her for guarding those things. So if you choose to express your feelings in a Christian community, especially feelings of hurt or anger or concern over other people, be sure that you don't let your emotions lead the way. It's not always wrong to share personal struggles or frustrations, but your openness needs to be measured and balanced with a healthy dose of that guardedness and that godly discretion. In a lot of cases, it's actually better to remain silent than to just freely express everything you're thinking and feeling, especially if your feelings haven't yet aligned with the unchanging truth of God's word. Because I know for me, a lot of times what I first think and feel about a situation is not actually God's heart. I have to go to the word of God and not say, okay, God, how do I feel about this? But God, what do you say about this? And that aligns my feelings and my emotions and my thoughts and my perspective with his truth. And sometimes that's a process. So we have gotten in the habit in our modern world of just expressing every feeling or thought as soon as it pops into our mind or our, our heart. And we do that on social media. We do it in texting. We do it because our world is so instant and emotions are valued as something very important. We've just gotten in the habit of doing that, but it is so important that our feelings aren't in control. God's truth is in control. Now, I will say that there is always a caveat in the case of abuse or danger to yourself or someone else. That's not the time to be silent. But even in those cases, go to the right people who are in authority who can help in the situation instead of just, you know, spouting all sorts of things to the whole entire world. I would encourage you to remain just yielded to God's leading as you discern what you should share in Christian community and what you should keep to yourself and who you should share things with. And keep in mind that sharing the most personal things that you're walking through or the deepest things that God is doing in your life, the best place for that to be shared is likely not going to be on social media. I don't know why we have this idea that social media is kind of the new form of a personal diary. You know, it used to be that women would keep their diary or their journal private and they would lock it and they would hide it and they wouldn't just share it with the world. And now we have social media pages and that's replaced that concept of a personal journal or personal diary. We just, we posted online. And yet that totally kills the idea of guardedness and discretion unless we're very measured with what we share and with what we post. You can cultivate the virtue of godly discretion by being guarded instead of careless with what you share with others in a Christian community. 
Proverbs 2.11 says that discretion will preserve us. So in other words, we can avoid so much heartache in this life by learning how to be guarded and discreet, to measure our words, and to not just share everything freely with everyone. If you are in a community where fleshly or emotion-based kinds of honesty reign instead of godly discretion, then I encourage you to first and foremost cultivate godly discretion in your own life. Even when people around you are encouraging you to vent all your feelings and be raw and real, it says in the Bible that a fool vents all his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. Now, we'll talk later about what kind of sharing and what kind of honesty is biblical and healthy within a Christian community. But for now, that guardedness and that discretion and understanding that just sharing everything with everyone is not necessarily God's pattern. It's not necessarily the healthier spiritual way to build a community. That's where we need to start. Another warning sign of an unhealthy community is that it promotes criticism of others versus honor of others. I shared this principle in an episode a few years ago. It's definitely worth repeating, though, because there is such a fine line between honesty and gossip. And a few years ago, I had a friend of mine who began opening up to me about her hurts and concerns towards people that I knew. And everything she shared was under the banner of asking for my prayers and my advice. It wasn't presented in the form of gossip, but pretty soon I began to realize that I had started to harbor suspicion and take up second party offenses toward the people that she was talking about. Finally, I had to ask her to stop her open and honest sharing, which was really actually spiritually veiled gossip and criticism. It's really common in modern Christian communities that we discuss the weaknesses of others under the banner of honesty. And sometimes fault finding with others is even disguised as care and sympathy and concern for the person who's being criticized. But we need to remember that no matter how much spiritual language is used to cloak it, gossip and criticism are never God-honoring. Amy Carmichael said, If I can easily discuss the shortcomings and sins of any other, if I can in any way slight another in conversation or even in thought, then I know nothing of Calvary love. That is such a convicting statement because it is so abundantly clear in scripture that honor and not criticism is what hallmarks godly honesty and Christianity and godly womanhood. In fact, it's one of the key qualities that we see in the Proverbs 31 woman. It says that the law of kindness is on her tongue. That's in Proverbs 31, 26. And so as you are dialoguing with Christian community, ask yourself, is the law of kindness on my tongue? Or am I falling into that pattern of gossip under the banner of, you know, care and concern? Counterfeit honesty says it's healthy and healing and good to share your offenses and your concerns about others because you need to process those things with your fellow Christians. Sounds spiritual, but it's actually very dangerous. Biblical honesty says a perverse person stirs up conflict and a gossip separates close friends in Proverbs 16, 28. And it also says in Proverbs 19, 11, it is to one's glory to overlook an offense. And we're not used to that in the modern world to overlook an offense. Got to be kidding. If, if somebody offends us, we just post about it on social media or we share about it with our Christian friends. And yet this idea of honoring others and covering over offenses is the biblical concept. In James 3, it so clearly explains the tongue is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our God and Father, and with it, we curse men who've been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed both blessing and cursing. 
my brethren, these things ought not to be so. There may be times when it is necessary to voice concerns about another person who is walking in sin or when we need to seek counsel about a certain issue that involves other people, but this is going to be the exception, not just the pattern in our lives when it comes to a healthy community. And when we do need to speak up, it shouldn't be taken lightly, and it should only be done after a lot of prayer rather than in the heat of emotion. Primarily, concerns towards others should be taken to people in a position of authority like parents or mentors or pastors or counselors, and that information should be shared in a way that honors others and not with the intent to gossip or slander or criticize. Amy Carmichael and her fellow missionaries made a purposeful effort to protect what they called their vital unity that they shared as fellow Christians. And they had one of the most amazing Christian communities I've seen as I've studied Christian history, which we'll talk about later. But the way that they had such a beautifully honoring community is that they were really careful with how they spoke about each other. Criticism was taboo. Amy said this, It often appears that there is nothing except our private walk with God, which is more detested and assaulted by the devil than this beautiful, happy thing, the loyalty that is the basic quality of vital unity. We made one careful rule. The absent must be safe with us. Criticism, therefore, was taboo. What other way of life can satisfy the heart that is set on living in the ungrieved presence of its Lord? The very thought of him shames unkindness. Those words express what I think is probably the most important antidote against criticizing and gossiping against others. It's taking our eyes off ourselves, off our own offenses, off our own hurts and emotions and pride and preferences and fixing our gaze upon Jesus and what he has done for us. If you are in a community that is very prone to be dishonoring to others or gossip about others, I encourage you to fix your gaze upon Christ and what he has done for you. When we remember how much he has sacrificed, how much he has given, how much he has suffered for us, we realize that criticizing and attacking each other is shameful and foolish and wrong. He longs for us to love each other with a pure heart fervently, as it says in 1 Peter 1.22. And this is how we demonstrate our love for him by loving one another, as it says in 1 John 4.20. Dishonorable counterfeit honesty has no place in light of the cross. And if we keep the cross in our view, if we keep our focus on Jesus Christ and him crucified, our words are going to honor others and in so doing honor him. Another warning sign of an unhealthy community is an emphasis on defeat versus victory. Honesty and healthy community has often been redefined by popular Christianity as simply being open and accepting of spiritual defeat or frustration and anger toward God. And in some Christian circles, it's actually seen as healthy to openly voice doubt and disillusionment toward God and the Bible under the banner of honesty. I've even heard about churches who host what they call doubt nights, and the whole point of them is to people to air their disillusionment and doubt towards God. But openly airing our sinful baggage and celebrating our defeat and talking about our doubts towards God and towards scripture is not actually what it means to walk in the light, to walk in honesty. Counterfeit honesty says, I'm a mess. You're a mess. Let's all just be honest about it and thank God that he loves messes like us. That's a very prevalent message in modern Christian communities. Biblical honesty says, thanks be to God who 
always leads us in triumph in Christ. That's in 2 Corinthians 2.14. And the Bible says that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, as it says in Romans 6.6. 6. Honesty about our spiritual struggles is an important step in the process of bringing our sins into the light and being made like Christ, but it's not the only step. And I think a lot of Christians focus on confession of struggles and just leave it there. God's word says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's in 1 John 1, 6. Confession of sin that process of bringing our hidden vices, our addictions, our selfishness, our doubt, our disillusionment into the light and laying those things at the feet of Jesus and then allowing him to wash us clean, to enable us by his grace to repent, which means to turn and walk the other way. That is what it means to walk in the light. Think about the woman who was caught in adultery. What did Jesus say to her after he rescued her from her persecutors? Did he say to her, go and just be honest about your struggles, just be raw, and real. He said, go and sin no more. So if you are being controlled by any kind of sin or doubt or disillusionment, yes, confession of that sin is critical first to God and then to the trusted Christians in your life that he's given you to confess those things to for accountability and spiritual exhortation. But of course, even then, maintain propriety with what kinds of things you're sharing, especially in mixed company. But confessing your sin to others is with an attitude that says this, I am choosing to repent of this sin. And I believe that God's power is sufficient to set me free from its bondage. So yes, let's be honest about our sin, but in the process, let's also be honest about the reality and the ability of God to transform us into new creatures in Christ. Because of Christ's work on the cross and his enabling grace that dwells within us, we have the power to reckon ourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Our old man has been crucified with Christ. Therefore, we are free, not just to be raw and real about all of our struggles, but to no longer serve sin, to walk in the light as he is in the light. When we choose counterfeit honesty and we celebrate defeat instead of victory, we diminish the most amazing gift that has ever been given, the gift of Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross. If you find yourself in a community where defeat is celebrated and victory is diminished, it's probably not a healthy or edifying community to deeply connect with. At the very least, I would encourage you to read stories of victorious Christians throughout history and all throughout scripture and be reminded of the power of Christ in you, the hope of glory. And whenever possible, surround yourself with Christians who will testify to the power of God, the faithfulness of God to transform and enable us to walk in his victory. Not just Christians who emphasize and highlight human weakness. That's such a popular thing to do today. And of course, we don't want to go the opposite direction and act like no one has any human weakness. But right now, you see a trend of just overemphasizing and celebrating human weakness versus focusing on the power of God to transform a life. So those are just a few warning signs of a counterfeit or unhealthy form of community within the church. 
In our next episode, we're going to talk about what makes a truly godly, Christ-centered, healthy community within the body of Christ. But before we do that, I want to take a few moments to answer the question, is Christian community necessary? Is it healthy? Is it good? Because especially as modern Christian women, we are really trained to believe that if we don't have a whole lot of authentic, raw and real relationships around us, which usually means emotional venting and processing and criticizing and sharing everything with everyone, if we don't have that in our life, we're not healthy and whole. I want to ask the question, is that a biblical mindset? When you look at scripture, certainly you see that God puts a very high value on the privilege of gathering together with other believers, of exhorting one another and praying for one another and bearing each other's burdens. You see those kinds of exhortations all throughout the New Testament and in Paul's letters to the early church. However, there's also scriptural value that is placed on seasons of aloneness. And we don't like to hear that. That's not what's popular in the church today. But there's a value that we see throughout the word of God of the secret place, a hidden life of prayer and communion with Christ where you go. It's that private place of communion with him where we learn dependence on God alone. And we learn how to turn to him as our first turn. And we learn how to make him our all in all. We learn who he is as the God of all comfort. You see this several times in the example of Christ when he was here on this earth, when he wrestled with some of his most extreme challenges, he went to be alone with the father to pray. He rose early in the morning and went to a secluded place. He went away to a wilderness to to pray, to be with the father. And that's where he was tempted by Satan and strengthened by God. And you see that he deeply valued the companion of his disciples, but that was not what he turned to for his primary source of comfort or perspective or emotional health or anything else. He was going to his father in heaven. He was meeting with his father in the secret place. And in Paul's life, we see that he took an entire season of his life, which by all accounts seems to be about three years of his life to become strong in his personal relationship with Christ and to glean wisdom from God to prepare him for leading the early church. It says in Galatians 1, 15 through 17, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. And after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and then remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And that's pretty amazing. He was emphasizing here that he immediately went to a season of seclusion and aloneness to become strengthened in truth for the calling that God had placed on his life. And that is looked at as a very unspiritual way to live out your Christianity or a way to let God prepare you for anything today. And yet it's a biblical concept. We so often devalue the seasons that God gives us of aloneness because we assume that if we're not surrounded by a thriving community at all times, or that if we don't have someone we can vent to anytime, day or night, then something is missing from our lives. And we don't don't realize that we truly do have everything we need in Christ. He is our all in all, the one who satisfies the longings of our soul, the God of all comfort. And if we're running to people to meet needs in our heart that only Jesus Christ can meet, we're going to be disappointed and we're going to be disillusioned. It says in Psalm 107.9, he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. And it says in Psalm 73.25, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth I desire besides you. 
Healthy community can be an amazing blessing from God, but it should never take the place that Christ alone can fulfill. And we should never fear seasons of aloneness because they lead us closer to him. We should never settle for counterfeit community just to fill a need that says we're not going to be healthy unless we're surrounded by people all the time. There are some amazing stories throughout history of women that went for years of their life through seasons of extreme aloneness and the blessing that was to them. I think about Darlene Dibler, who was a prisoner in the Second World War, and everything was stripped away. She lost her husband. She lost fellowship with all her other missionary friends that she depended upon, and she was put into a solitary confinement cell, and she was on death row, and she was going through the hardest time in her life, and she said that the sweet presence of God was more than enough to comfort her and satisfy her. She said, I was not fighting against those bars anymore. Iron bars did not imprison me. Mary Slusser was a missionary to the remotest part of Africa. She went to places where other missionaries refused to go. She was completely cut off from anyone who spoke her language, who understood her culture. She was in some very dark tribal situations in Africa bringing the gospel, and yet she had such triumph and such joy and such an impact because Christ was her all in all, even in the darkest things that she walked through. Or Gladys Elward, when she first went to China, she was very, very lonely because the one missionary she knew there passed away not long after she got there, and she was in a foreign country with no way to get back home, didn't speak the language, didn't really understand the culture, and she began to pray for companionship, and God brought her these orphan children that needed protection, and they became her friends. But her dependency on Christ through all of that time sustained her, even though she was very alone at times. I remember Eric and I, we prayed for a community for several years before we began Ellerslie, our discipleship training program. And we walked through a time of extreme loneliness when it didn't seem like God was answering our prayer for community. It was just the two of us with a handful of people who met with us for prayer every week, but it really, we just felt like we were really lacking in the area of community. But looking back, we see that that time of aloneness was incredibly valuable. It really prepared us for the ministry God was about to have us step into because we learned dependence on him. Before we will really be able to step into a healthy Christian community, we have to learn how to be satisfied and fulfilled in Christ alone. We have to be brought to the place where we don't fear loneliness, where we make him our first turn, and we realize that he is enough, even if every human relationship is stripped away. And of course, one of my favorite stories to tell in my messages is the man who was in a persecuted country. He was thrown into solitary confinement for his faith, and all human companionship was completely stripped away from him for an entire year. And when he got out of that prison cell, people asked him how he survived. And he said, it was like a honeymoon with Jesus, just an entire year in the presence of God. I was completely fulfilled and I would actually love to go back and do it again. That's incredible. If Jesus Christ can fulfill that man in that kind of extreme isolation, is he not enough to fulfill the longings of our soul, even when we walk through times of loneliness? So as we prepare for our next episode on what healthy community looks like, I want to leave you with a few questions to prayerfully consider before God. Just take these questions to him and allow him to show you where your heart is at in each of these areas. First, am I making other relationships my first turn besides Jesus Christ? Am I looking to social media or social relationships to fulfill the longings of my soul? Do I have unhealthy patterns of communication with other Christians? Am I willing by God's grace to change those patterns? 
And that might mean choosing discretion over gossip or choosing honor instead of criticism or choosing to hold back versus vent to all of your feelings. Let God pinpoint areas that may need to change. Do I believe that Christ can be my all in all, my deepest source of soul level satisfaction? Because that's what he promises to be in scripture. Am I willing to walk through seasons of aloneness if he asked me to in order to draw closer to him? Remember that if you are struggling with a willingness to walk in his pattern, to embrace a season of aloneness, he can work in your heart to create that willingness. So surrender this area of your life to him and he will be faithful. Remember that man imprisoned for his faith, his deep happiness and satisfaction in Christ. And that is the kind of happiness and satisfaction that is available to every single one of us. All we need to do is ask for it. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. If you'd like to go deeper into what it means to live a set-apart life for Christ, I encourage you to visit us at setapart.org and look at the many resources that we have for you there. I pray you have a blessed and Christ-centered week.